You are listening to the Healing Migraines Naturally podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Caesar, and I'm helping women all over the country rediscover a migraine-free life. Today, I'm talking to Mary, who runs our awesome Facebook community, about the question, is my job giving me migraines? Welcome, Mary. How are you? Good. I think this can be a short episode. We'll just say yes and move on. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. Done and done. (laughs) Right. Easy and done, right? Whose job doesn't give them a headache occasionally? (laughs) Exactly, right? So this is a question. How frequently would you say this one comes up? You know, uh, if not job-related migraines specifically, right? Like stress-related migraines. How frequently do you see this one coming up in the Facebook group? Quite often. Um, and it's it's usually, I would say, more of like a specific scenario within the job, like whether it's lighting, you know, stress, how to deal with, you know, missing work. That comes up a lot. This last week, we had one lady who realized that this chemicals. I'm not even entirely sure what she does, but something she's exposed to at work. Um, it gets all over her head to toe kind of thing also gives her migraines and she thinks she's allergic to it. So that was interesting. I, yeah, I wasn't even sure how to respond to that because I would imagine some things that you're exposed to are actually detrimental to your health. So, yeah, so what we have is a variety of environmental factors that people are exposed to at work. So it might be, right, a chemical that's off-gassing in the work environment or the lighting at work. Fluorescent lighting can be a big factor for a lot of people. Could be the schedule at work, right? So some people are working maybe not nine to five. They're working a second shift or a third shift. So we have sort of like the physical environment at play at work. And then we also have the mental and emotional stress at work. If we're, it could be meeting deadlines, it could be um, having to speak in front of coworkers or give a presentation in front of stakeholders or clients or coworkers. It could be dealing with like, for example, teachers, right? There's a lot of stress involved dealing with the parents of the students. There's that mental and emotional stress that comes up with with our jobs as well. So I think it's interesting, right? You know, this question, you know, is my job giving me migraines could be physical aspects or sort of like mental and emotional or emotional stress type aspects to our job that could be causing a problem. Right. And I know also like we talked about in other another episode, I'll have to remember which one, but how you have the three o'clock in the afternoon set off for migraines. Talked about that so it's interesting like I don't know we we often go throughout the day and then at the end of the day you're just done in your migraine yeah we talked about the podcast topic uh, why do I have 3 a.m migraines and I talked about my own experience when I first started getting migraines it would kick in it would, it would start sort of towards the end of the workday and that's pretty common so yeah if you're at work <laughs> and the migraines are coming by the end of the workday you start to suspect your job <laughs> <laughs> right we go back to the whole correlation thing like you know your brain is searching for the reason that you have a migraine and the most obvious answer is glaring you in the face <laughs> <The conscious> <laughs> 
And if people notice, you know, well, geez, every time I have to get up and do a presentation at work, I get a migraine after, you know, after I'm in the fluorescent lighting for so long, I'm getting a migraine. When people start to realize that, then the real panic starts to set in for people because, you know, why do we have our job? We're having our job because we need the job. Right. I mean, most of us are not independently wealthy enough to avoid that. (laughs) Right, exactly. Probably just as hard to avoid as the weather. A hundred percent, right? People say, well, if I have weather-related migraines, how do I move, right? That's certainly not feasible for everybody. And then if people are noticing that they're getting migraines that seem to be, be related to either the physical environment or the emotional environment at their work, now what do I do? Well, I can look for another job, but I mean, that that may or may not come to fruition. And then is the environment in my next job really going to be any different? If my profession is a teacher, and one of the things that I'm noticing is after I'm sort of a heated or contentious or difficult exchange with a parent, I tend to get a migraine. Well, that's my profession. I mean, I could switch schools, but the parents are still going to be there. The interaction with difficult parents is still going to be there. So people can feel very trapped by this phenomenon. Right. And you know, for me, like, I am not willing to throw away, you know, 20 years of experience and an education to switch fields because of my, I mean, that's just a really hard place to be put in. Thousands of hours of education and thousands of dollars of getting there. That's not something most people want to walk away from easily. Exactly. And the other factor in play for a lot of people at work, particularly when the migraines become very chronic, I hear over and over again from my clients when they are in a a significant chronic migraine state, because when we get into that state, it's going to affect our ability to do our job. And so what happens is people say, well, my boss understands. A lot of people will have a boss that has migraines. And I I hear this so many times. Well, I kind of feel trapped in this job because I've got this boss. You know, she gets it. She gets migraines too. She gets it. And she lets me, you know, hang out in a dark conference room for a few hours in the middle of the day if I need to. Or she lets me, you know, slip out and leave early and kind of cover for me with the rest of the team if I need to, or, you know, if I need to work from home, she's very flexible with that. I don't get a lot of scrutiny on that. So I'm, I really can't leave because my boss is so understanding and those don't come around all the time. Well, and what are, right, what are the odds you're going to find another super supportive boss? I mean, because you hear the other extreme of people like that are, it's just a headache, suck it up or, you know, and they don't, want to hear it. So, and another thing people have told me many times is if I got another job, I wouldn't want to do that to my new employer. You know, they know they're not functioning at a hundred percent and they would not want to bring that to a new employer. They would not want to do that to the next company. I mean, it does definitely diminish your confidence level of being able to handle the new job or any job. I mean, I think of it kind of like imposter syndrome where you're constantly like, I know I'm capable of the work, but when are they going to find out that I can't always do it or whatever? I'm pretending until they catch me kind of a feeling. Mm -hmm. How long can I keep faking it, covering it, this type of thing? So when people, right, people can feel very, very trapped 
in their job? Is the job causing the migraines? How do I get another job? Am I really going to feel better if I switch positions? And then how do I let go of this really understanding boss that I have? Or uh, how do I bring all of this to my next employer? I don't want to do that. So people can feel very trapped. They can have a lot of anxiety around this when people have, quote unquote, getting migraines due to the workplace environment. So I mean, like, is the real solution actually to change? Because again, jobs are hard to avoid, just like the weather. Is switching really a solution? Is quitting? Or what about going on disability? I know there's a lot of conversations in the group about how do you get on disability? And that one makes me the saddest because you know those people are in the most desperate place where they don't know what else to do. So I'm glad you bring up this factor of applying for disability. I didn't even occur to me to talk about that today, but I'm glad you brought it up because I think it's very relevant. And I think there's something very significant to say about going on disability as well. So I have had clients that have gone through the formal disability process and are on disability. And what I have found is that the process of going through applying for disability and proving, because that's what you have to do with that process, you basically have to prove that you are beyond help and that you cannot recover and that you cannot function. Let that sink in. The process is so emotionally devastating for people to have to prove that they are disabled, that they are beyond help, and that they cannot work. I mean, just saying that out loud, like you're beyond hope. That How depressing is that? It's yes. Psychologically, it's a lot for people to go through and people fight it. You know, there's a lot of talk, you know, oh, people are just trying to get a handout, this or that. For my chronic migraine sufferers to even consider going through the disability process and having to prove that about themselves. I mean, nobody wants to go down that road. People are very, very desperate to go down that road. And in all honesty, it's literally the most hellacious process. It's not. The fact that you have to, a lot of people have to even hire an attorney to get there. It's not something that you can easily do. So what I guess I'm saying is people don't make that decision lightly. It's not something they're like, oh, I hope I can get on disability and not function. And like, that's not something people wish on anyone, let alone exactly. themselves. 100%. And then, you know, when, so when people come to me, they are committed to recovering from the migraines, right? And getting their health back and getting their lives back. That's why people reach out to me and work with me. And what I have found is part of the healing process for women who come to me Having completed that disability process and on disability, part of the healing process is actually undoing some of the post-traumatic response that was generated by going through the proving process that you are disabled. So to recover from the disability process, you know, I've, I've helped several women now recover from the post-traumatic aspect of going through disability, which is required for them to, to heal and recover. So it's quite a, we could probably devote a whole podcast to this topic of disability. It's quite something, quite something. So the answer is not to look for another job. I mean, we can look for another job if we want to move, right? But that's not going to be the answer to our migraines, okay? Because right again, you know, 
you carry yourself wherever you go. <laughs> Unfortunately, I follow myself everywhere. <laughs> right, exactly. And so, you know, if we are not in a state of health, when we go to a new employer, we're still not going to be in a state of health. And you may, like in some cases, like I would imagine you may feel better for a short time, but eventually the stress still comes back. Like how many jobs do you know of that are anti-stress completely? A hundred percent. And the things that are stressful for me may not be stressful for you. We have our little hot buttons that make things stressful to us. So one person could be in the same department, same job responsibilities and hey, easy breezy, uh, nothing bothers me. And then someone else, right? The job, the management, the coworkers are continuously pressing those hot buttons and it's very emotionally stressful for them. So what do we really want to do here? right? What we really want to do is restore our health so that our body is not generating the migraines and the other symptoms that we're having, right? That's really the answer to the problem. So how do we restore our health? There are three things that we have to do to restore our health. So for those people that have been following the podcast, um, I've talked about these three principles. I call them the three principles, the three things that we have to do to restore our health. So let's go through these three principles and how it relates to the typical workplace and how our workplace environment could be contributing to some blockers or some deficiencies within these three principles and therefore affecting our state of health, which again, for those of us that are prone to migraines, when we are not in a state of health, our body is going to generate migraines. So should we go through that? Yeah, let's do it. So the first principle is getting the nutrients to every cell in the body. And so the first piece of that is we have to be able to eat adequate nutrients. So a lot of workplace environments, the uh, scheduling or the expectations prevent people from eating. Not eating when it's good for you rather than because you're not necessarily hungry at 11, but you would be at one and eating when your body actually is saying I'm hungry may not be on schedule. <laughs> so I see this a lot with teachers. The school environment is a grueling environment in a lot of ways. But one of the really insidious things that has happened over the years in the teaching environment is that there's not enough time for lunch to eat for the students and for the staff and the teachers. And so we have to eat. Every cell in the body requires nutrients to function properly. So we get those nutrients, not from capsules and things like that. We get them from our food. Okay. So there are some work environments where the ability to eat is compromised. Okay, not enough time. I see this most often. There just is not enough time given to people to eat. Yeah. So this can happen again. Yeah, I don't even know how long a lunch period typically is, but it's usually like 30 minutes, right? Well, I'll be honest with you, because I work with a lot of teachers. What I hear consistently is they have 20 minutes to eat, and that includes heating the food up. Heaven forbid they go to the bathroom. Right. And maybe make some copies. Like I know they, they do work on their lunch. I know they do, you know, or return a phone call from a parent and then you've got three minutes to eat. <laughs> and, you know, people in office environments, I see this frequently. So, you know, gone are the days where people who work in an office take an hour for a lunch break. I mean, the scheduling, right? People are in meetings all through the workday. You know, nobody respects the lunch hour. People schedule meetings. 
over the lunch hour. And so in a lot of workplace environments, it's not acceptable to eat in a meeting. What do you do if you're in a meeting all day? Even post-COVID, so now if people are working over Zoom and they're on camera, a lot of people, eh, I don't really feel comfortable eating, right, (laughs) on a Zoom (laughs) and having my face there on the screen for everybody to see while I'm eating. I'm a hot mess at lunchtime, so So this can inhibit people from eating, right? They might feel too self-conscious to eat. Many times people get called into a meeting, maybe the meeting is scheduled from, you know, 11 o'clock to noon, and then they're anticipating being able to eat at noon, but the meeting goes over, right? I used to work in corporate America, you'd have some meetings where you're almost like trapped in the room and everybody starts, you know, how do I escape? <laughs> Trying to make a exit no plan. There's always that, you know, the one person who asks the question at the end of the meeting and the whole room glares at them. <laughs> They're hungry. Let them leave. (laughs) Right, exactly. Right, exactly. And then people have jobs where they uh, have, you know, they have, like I say, second shift or third shift. The schedule is such that they have very little, if any, control over the timing of their lunch break, etc. So within this first principle, if we cannot eat at work, we're going to have a problem. We're not going to be able to get the nutrients in that the body needs to function. Is this a silly question? Like, you know, I know our body has a circadian rhythm for sleep where it's optimal times for sleeping. Do we also have that need to eat at a certain-ish time for food and nutrients? Like if we have a third shift and we're up all night and our body is getting nutrients in the middle of the night, is that detrimental to us? Like, I don't Great question. So there is a rhythm to our digestive function as well. You are absolutely correct. And so if the meal times are extremely chaotic, okay, there's no rhythm or routine to the meal time, that can put a significant amount of stress, physical stress on the body. And then that's going to interfere in that third principle. I'll talk about that more. Right. Interesting. And then, yes, so when people are awake, when humans should be asleep, humans are not nocturnal animals, okay? So when people have to work in an environment where they are awake, when they should be asleep for normal physiology, yes, this can impair their appetite, absolutely. And so then they don't feel like eating as much because we can only eat as much as our appetite sort of tells us to eat, That's so true. So if somebody is working, you know, overnight and their quote unquote lunch hour is scheduled at three in the morning and the digestive tract, the digestive tract should be asleep under normal, you know, human physiology. And so then eh, what's our appetite going to be like at three in the morning? Even if we're acclimated to that, it's we're still running counter to what is normal physiology, that normal rhythm for us humans. Other animals, if they are supposed to sleep at night, they they don't really have any control over that. They go to sleep. But we humans, we have the ability to kind of willpower our way or have conscious control over things. But that doesn't mean that there's no impact on our health because of that. Yeah, interesting. But, you know, I have worked with people that work second or third shift. I don't encourage people to quit those jobs, but we have to work a little harder. People have to be a little bit more conscientious around maintaining their health if they're working those off hours schedules. But yeah, great question. Our digestion will be affected by that. Yeah, like it's just so upside down to our bodies are 
made to do. I've never really, I mean, I've always considered like, gosh, it must be hard to work all night. My husband loves the night shift. Um, I'm a night owl as well, but I hit a certain point and my brain will shut off. (laughs) Nobody wants me at work. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I'm not a morning person. I have zero appetite in the morning. Like I can barely make myself drink a shake because I just don't want to eat. But it's so interesting that our bodies do have that natural. I think I have my natural rhythm all upside down now that you've mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> Just for anyone listening, every time I get off this podcast, I too am going, man, I got a lot of work to do. <laughs> no one is alone. <laughs> so within this first principle at work, we have, there may be a physical environment at our job that prevents us from being able to eat enough food. And again, if someone is a teacher and they're, again, most schools, what I'm hearing now, allow 20 minutes for uh, to eat, which is not enough time for children or adults. But if that's the environment, right, then we want to come up with a game plan so that we can maximize that 20 minutes and then also mitigate that, okay? So that we make sure that we are getting enough nutrients in with our other meals or things like that. Okay, so we want to look at that environment, like when I'm working with my clients, one of the things that I'm looking for is, okay, if they work, what is the work environment like? And can they easily eat a meal when they're at work? Or do we need to come up with some mitigation strategies? So within that's kind of how that so that's one way, let me add one more thing in this first principle. So that's one way that the work environment impacts that first principle. The other impact that work can have on that first principle is once we eat the food, we have to have good digestive function to break the food down. And so if people are working in a work environment that after they eat, it's very emotionally stressful or it's very physically taxing, that's going to impair our digestive function. The digestion has to have enough energy to break the food down. And if we are in a work environment where after we eat, we go into, you know, real heavy lifting or, you know, a real strenuous physical environment, we're going to have to pull energy away from digestion to just make that physical activity happen. Okay. So that could be a factor for people. Yeah. My understanding is when we're taxed, like in a stressful situation, our chemicals shut like our adrenaline those kind of things shut our digestive system down so like then you have food just sitting there not being digested that kind of sort of how it works (laughs) well so you have a physical activity that is probably not going to put somebody into that adrenaline and cortisol state that fight or flight state but it can pull energy from the digestion you know, it's sort of like if you go eat a big meal and then you go run a marathon, you're you're going to run into problems because you got to have all that energy to do that running. But then people can be in that mental and emotional stressful environment and that can kick us into that fight or flight mode, right? I don't know about you again. You know, I, I used to work in corporate America many, many times I would be at work, usually in a meeting and you know, not everybody is uh, real nice. Some people are real out for bear every time they go to work. They're just looking to take people down, etc. I've been in many meetings <laughs> where my heart is pounding and everything else because there's somebody acting crazy in the meeting and causing a lot of, you know, political drama, etc. Drama, drama. 
I'm sure a lot of people can relate. <laughs> yes, but then like if your food's just sitting there in your stomach, I mean, that's not getting the nutrients to where you need it. So that can't help either. Exactly. So if we are in a work environment where we are really going to have no choice but to engage in a lot of physical activity, then we want to change what we're eating so it's more easily digestible. Okay, so the digestive tract doesn't have to work so hard because the body is going to have to take some of that energy to fuel that physical activity. In the second case, that mental and emotional stress, right? I would go, you know, I would go into a fight or flight mode. Sometimes people act so crazy that, you know, everybody's buttons get pushed, so to speak. But again, my buttons have to be pushed to kind of move me into that fight or flight state. So in that situation, we want to work on our own mental and emotional side, right? We want to do some healing on the mental and emotional side. So we don't have a button there to be pushed. The button is not as sensitive or whatever. Exactly. So that's, that's some of the highlights as to how the work environment impacts that first principle right? And that first principle is critical, right? If our cells do not have the nutrients that they need to function properly, we're not going to feel well. And we have 30 to 40 trillion cells in our body and they all need nutrients. So second principle is clearing metabolic waste material and toxins. So it's interesting, right? We had a question in the group recently questioning whether or not this toxin that they were exposed to at work was playing a role with their health. And then we have work environments. Again, when you walk into a corporate work environment, you have the carpeting, you have the plastics, you have the cubicle fabric. I mean, office environment, a modern office environment is off-gassing all kinds of chemicals. There could be mold growing in the building. So when we're exposed to mold, mold generates their little metabolic waste materials and toxins that we are exposed to. So, and then people might be, again, working in an environment where, so like hairstylists, this is a classic one. Hairstylists are exposed, if if it's a salon where color is done, the air quality in that salon is going to be going to be poor if nothing else is done because of the hair color product off-gassing, right? You can even smell the hair color product. I was at the salon yesterday and I was like, dude, they still haven't made perms less stinky and it's been. <laughs> it's been like 35 40 years since I had a perm and I had my boys permed yesterday which is a whole other story but like they still stink just to high heaven <laughs> so yeah so we could be in these environments you know even best case scenario even now when people are working at home I mean our home off gases stuff too So all of these are external toxins that we are exposed to that we might inhale. Uh, I think that would be the most likely way that they're getting into people in kind of a traditional environment is by inhaling them. But if somebody is actually working with toxic material, they can inhale that. It could be absorbed through the skin. They might have tiny particles going in their mouth, getting into their digestive tract. So if we are in, I think it's a given, right, in the modern world, going into work, we are going to be exposed to some toxins in some way, even if it's just off-gassing carpets. That's probably the best case scenario. So we are going to be exposed to toxins in the workplace that we can't avoid, There are toxins in the food supply, in the water supply, in the air supply that we can't avoid either. So this is part of modern living. So again, when I'm working with my clients, I don't tell them to move to the top of a pristine mountain and just sit up there 
for the rest of their life. So what we have to do is we have to have enough detoxification capacity within our organs of detoxification, our liver and our kidneys and our lungs. We have to have enough extra capacity to keep up with the load that we're exposed to. So if somebody is in a work environment, say a hairstylist or that type of environment where they are going to be exposed to even more toxins than what is typical, right? Then they really need to make sure that they have, you know, robust detoxification organs. Those organs are functioning at their max capacity so that they can keep up with that. Now, what do the organs of detoxification need? Well, they need nutrients to do this work. They also need the cellular vitality or cellular voltage to do the work. So guess what I'm referencing here? The first principle and the third principle. So it sounds like they kind of affect each other and go hand in hand. And if one's breaking down, the other one's likely to break down. Like, even though they're three separate principles, they still are interconnected. They're very, very intertwined. Yes. So this is not, you know, colon cleansing. This is not juicing or fasting or putting lemon water, you know, putting lemon in your water. We have to make sure in order for our organs of detoxification to run at their max capacity, we have to make sure we don't have any blockers or deficiencies in the first principle or the third principle as well. And this is the big mistake that people do. People will do a quote unquote, you know, weekend cleanse, a quote unquote, 30 day detox, but they don't realize that they're not eating enough nutrients and they don't have good digestive function and they have poor circulation to get the nutrients to the organs. And then they don't realize that they have lowered vitality and that's going to impact that voltage or vitality at the cellular level. So they're kind of like beating a horse that doesn't have any, any ability to run any faster. So if you're prone to migraines and you do this, it's a great way to get a migraine. Ask me how I know (laughs) through my personal painful experience of working with practitioners that recommended things to me without understanding that you have to work within all three of these principles. So if you take a chronic migraine sufferer and you do some of these quote unquote detox protocols, highly likely you're going to get a migraine. Interesting. I mean, I've heard a lot. I I mean, I've had people try and sell me detoxing systems and whatever in the past. And you often hear the objection is, well, you know, that'll make me feel worse. And people will often say, well, yeah, that's just proof that it's working. Uh, Yeah, no. (laughs) It's just because you're feeling all the toxins leaving your body, right? Well, no. So what happens is, so when, let's say, so everybody has a genetic determined capacity for detoxification. They have found many genes that impact how fast these detoxification pathways run. So most people are sort of normal speed detoxifiers. Now, there are some people who are fast detoxifiers and some people who are slow detoxifiers. So that capacity is sort of set by our genetics. However, most people are not running at their capacity. They might be running at 50 or 60% capacity. In this day and age, you cannot run at 50 or 60% capacity. You're going to get overloaded. Because remember, we are continuously generating metabolic waste material. Every cell in our body is continuously generating 
metabolic waste material, toxins, that have to be removed from the cell and then circulated through the liver, through the kidneys, through the lungs, so that those organs can modify those toxins so that they can be eliminated from the body. Now, our organs are designed to keep up with the load that we generate. Our organs are not designed to keep up with the load of the off-gassing carpet and the chemical cleaners that the janitorial crew uses every night, and then all the toxins in the food supply and the water supply and the air supply. That seems like a lot. It's a lot, right? So we can't be, you know, maybe back in the day, right? If we were running at 50%, eh, I only have to clear my own metabolic waste material. Okay, that's one thing. But not in today's day and age. We want to be at 100% of our capacity so that we can keep up with this load. Kind of mind-blowing when you you sit and think about, like, in your day-to-day world, you're not sitting there counting all the toxins that you're taking into your body, but that is a lot. It's a lot. The medication that we take is toxic and has to be cleared. So, you know, by the time we have chronic migraines, how many medications are we taking just to make it through, just to, you know, get out the door? So what we want to do is we want to be operating at maximum capacity, not 50 or 60 percent. If we go in and we start, you know, kicking the horse that doesn't have any get up and go, can't run the race, it completely causes an upheaval in the body. And then we have we start to have more toxins circulating. And then we don't feel good when those are circulating. So we could devote a whole nother podcast and get into more detail in this. But we have to set the proper stage to maximize the function of these organs. You just can't go in there and pay no attention to the ability. You know, where is the ability of these organs right now? So within the second principle, right, again, you know, if somebody's a hairstylist, This is their profession. And uh, also they could go to another work environment. Let's say they quit hairstyling and get an office job. What if there's mold in the office, right? So what we want to do is we want to increase our detoxification capacity so that we can keep up with this load that we are exposed to. Even those of us that are genetically slow detoxifiers, if we are operating at 100%, we can still make progress. But I mean, have you like other than I guess just your body having the migraines, like it's not like you have an I know that my capacity for detoxifying my own body is low. But that's why the migraines are there is a signal, right? Like the like a sign that yes, your body needs help. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, other indications that you have an overload of metabolic waste material, I'll, I'll give you some common ones that usually start before the migraine. So the migraines are sort of like a second order symptom. There are other telltale symptoms that usually happen first within these three principles that those are kind of the early warning signs, but nobody knows how to read them. And we've been told that most of them are normal. So nobody really pays attention to that. And then to us, it feels like the migraines just started out of the blue. But when we have, when our organs of detoxification can't keep up with the load and we have an overflow, so to speak, of metabolic waste material and toxins, what are common symptoms of this? So any type of skin condition, eczema, acne, hives, itching, dry skin, psoriasis, okay? These are things that usually are starting first for people if they're prone to them. Allergies, sinus congestion, sinus issues, sinus infections. Okay, again, people, uh, I can't tell you how many migraine sufferers have had allergies since they were a kid. I certainly did. I was getting allergy shots by the time I was in high school. 
problems with the period again when I was, you know, in middle school, high school, learning about what was going to happen with my period. I was told that it's normal to have menstrual cramps, mood changes, heavy bleeding, right? The whole thing, right? It's not normal to have symptoms with your period. It's not normal to be down in bed so sick you can't function with your period. (laughs) Correct. Exactly. Those are symptoms. So those are, I would say, probably the three most common symptom clusters that indicate that there's this toxin accumulation. Um, Another one is just feeling keyed up. So when we have all these toxins circulating, it brings a hypersensitivity to the system. These toxins are irritating and toxic to the body. And so we can feel that mentally and emotionally. And so people might be irritable, right? They might feel keyed up. Uh, Gosh, I'm just always keyed up. You know, somebody walks in the room, I'm, you know, startling, you know, I'm just keyed up all the time. I feel like I can't relax. That's another common symptom. So people will have these symptoms of this toxin overload and, uh, you know, well, that's just your personality. You're kind of keyed up and, you know, irritable. I guess that's just you. Well, is it or is it a symptom, right? Everybody has allergies. I mean, how many uh, Allegra commercials do you see every week? Well, I'm sitting here thinking if you like started listing all of these ailments that are signals. I'm like, I don't know anyone that doesn't need treatment. <laughs> I mean, they don't need migraine treatment per se, but like, right. man, our whole society is in a mess with, with toxins. Exactly. Exactly. So right, we ignore these little like first level symptoms of a toxin accumulation. And then when it's not addressed and they continue to build up, then we have things like migraines, chronic fatigue syndrome, right? We have much more severe things that you just can't, you know, take an Allegra for, right? Things that are much harder to suppress the symptoms or as they say in medicine, treat. And, you know, that's that whole, you know, my one of my favorite quotes is your body will whisper before it screams, right? My body sure whispered to me, but nobody knew My body is whispering like a four-year-old who doesn't know what the word whisper means. (laughs) (laughs) Uh And you're in church and you're trying to get them to be quiet. (laughs) Well, oh my goodness, right? This is what we do, right? Come on, allergies. Don't bother me now. I've got a work deadline. Here comes the Allegra, right? So the third principle is restoring our resiliency and vitality. So this is actually what keeps us in a state of health is our own resiliency and vitality. So there is an organizing energy to every living system that keeps it in homeostasis, keeps it in balance, keeps it in a state of health. You can see this in ecosystems. You can see this in something like a beehive. So a beehive, we have, you know, thousands of individual bees, individual organisms, and yet the honey gets made. There's an organizing energy to the hive. So we are no exception to this, and we are way more complex than a beehive. We have our physical body, 30 to 40 trillion cells, organs, organ systems, our entire physical body. Then we have our mental and emotional aspect. We are extremely complex. So this organizing energy keeps this whole complex system functioning properly in homeostasis in a state of health no i was just gonna say that completely blows my mind like there's some force whatever you want to call it that keeps everything functioning like 
it is literally just a miracle that our bodies work. It is. We do not understand consciousness at all. We do not understand this organizing energy at all, right? Some, we, we, you know, you might call it the life force in Chinese medicine. They call it chi. In naturopathic medicine, we call it the vital force, okay? This life force, this organizing energy that keeps everything coordinated. So when we are in a state of health, when we are in homeostasis, I like to think of it as it's like our needle is pointing north, right? We're in the green zone. It's pointing north. We feel good. Our body isn't generating symptoms. Our our needle is continuously getting pushed down towards west by stressors, physical stressors, mental stressors, emotional stressors. These are part of life. They're part of our workplace. You cannot avoid them. So that needle is continuously getting pushed down towards west by these stressors. When our needle is pointing west, we get a migraine, right? Where the needle is on the dial corresponds to different symptoms. So it's our own resiliency and vitality that actually pushes that needle back up to north, pushes us back into homeostasis or health. So we migraine sufferers, we can really feel this. We can kind of feel where our needle is because when the stressors are overwhelming our resiliency and vitality and our needle is going down and we get to the very top of our migraine zone, that's what I call the uh uh-oh moment, right? We feel, uh (laughs) uh-oh, something's happening here. That's when our needle just went into our migraine zone. Now, if it continues to go down, eventually we're going to get real, real bad migraine, right? Sometimes when we get a migraine, eh, you know, it's kind of annoying. I know I'm having a migraine, but you know, I can kind of push through. Other times our needle is way down at the bottom of the migraine zone and we are in bed or laying on the bathroom tile. So we can kind of feel where our needle is. Other people are prone to symptoms that are not like this and they can't really tell where their needle is. Okay, but we can. So to feel better, we have to restore our resiliency and vitality so that we can weather the inevitable stressors that we are going to encounter physically, mentally, or emotionally. So this third principle is sort of filling up our vitality bucket. We've got to do that too. We've got to fill up that vitality bucket and we've got to figure out, do I have any holes in the bottom of my vitality bucket? And there's things at work that make that vitality bucket drain, right? Like the stressors, the coworkers that drive you crazy, those kinds of And so it's really not the coworkers, it's our buttons that the coworkers are pushing. That's where the holes in the bottom of our bucket are. Where our buttons are, those are little holes in the bottom of the vitality bucket. Right. So like it's not an external thing, just like the treatment is not going to come from somewhere outside of yourself or the fix it. It's inside of us. So we have to restore our ability to not let those buttons be pushed as hard. Right. 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 We want to understand how did the button get here in the first place and what do we need to do to remove the button? Maybe this is a silly question, but like, I know you talk a little bit about how you do look back and identify where these buttons come from. Do you, this might be silly, but like, do you dig deep into childhood and like all the trauma and, you know, see where those buttons have been developed back then? Like, I don't know. I guess I'm just curious how far, how deep are we going? (laughs) 
Yeah, it's a great question because a lot of people, they kind of, their intuition is telling them, you know what, I think something from my childhood might be contributing here, right? There's some dynamic that was present, you know, with the family dynamic and that I I just feel like that might be contributing, right, to these migraines. And yes, is it likely that that's contributing to the migraines? It's highly likely. And so I do not need to have people relive their trauma. I don't even need to know the the details of it. It's a process of understanding what was it about, sort of what did we kind of pick up from that experience that ultimately isn't really true. Like an example could be like, I've been reading up a lot on personality development and stuff. And like one of the types of personality is like that perfectionist. And maybe they're, they've learned as a child that the way that they get value and worth is by performing in a perfectionism way. And then just like realizing where that came from and then unlearning that you don't have to be a perfect person to be worthy. Yeah, a common dynamic. So if there was, say, a lot of chaos in the home when someone was a child, many, so again, women who are prone to migraines, they're going to be the child in the family that kind of stepped up to try to get the chaos under control. This is very interesting because let's say you have, you know, three kids in the family where there's a lot of this chaos in the family dynamic. So you will usually have one of those children, one of the three, who will kind of take it on to try to bring order into the chaos. They're going to be kind of maybe, and this could be any any number of different things or roles that that child might start to take on. So the child might take on maybe a role of a parent. You know, well, I'm the one who was always doing the laundry for my siblings, right? That would be a way of imposing some order onto the chaos. Another child might impose order onto the chaos by saying, you know, I'm going to be really, really good at sports. And that way, it's going to be something that people, you know, in the family can be happy about. Or we can, there's a there's an order aspect in that, you know, she is being recognized, you know, somebody, a child might take on that role, that the child that does that, the child who takes on the role of, of imposing some order on the chaos, that's the person who's going to be prone to migraines. You have another child in a family like this, they might become even more chaotic as an adult. So they might become, uh, you know, an alcoholic, drug addict. They might have a great difficulty holding down a job, okay, going from, right, the chaos, right? They continue the chaos dynamic. And then another typical response, say the third child just exits avoidance, right? I'm out of here. And they kind of, you know, well, we don't really, I'm not really close to my sister anyway. She just kind of disappeared after we grew up or someone who now they're avoiding everything, right? They may not, they may never marry or something like that because they're avoiding, right? They're always kind of exiting or avoiding. The person in that family dynamic who's going to be prone to migraines more than nine out of 10 times is the child who was the order imposer. The fixer, kind of. The fixer. Taking on the cleaner, responsibility, right? yep. So how does this translate into a work environment? Okay, so let's take now this grown adult, right? She goes into work and let's say there's a presentation that needs to be done for, you know, 
high level stakeholders, right? This is a, you know, hey, all right, Mary, this presentation, right? This is do or die. We get the client or not, you know, we get the funding or not, right? Well, here's a chaotic situation. What's going to happen here? I don't know. Yeah, they're going to overdo themselves. They're going to overextend, work too hard, not get sleep, do all of the things that make migraines easier to get in the first place. (laughs) Well, you know, it's very vitality draining to lay awake at three in the morning worrying about the presentation. It's very vitality draining to think through in your mind, okay, who are the stakeholders and what is the exact thing that I could say to each one of them so that they give us the funding? It's very vitality draining. It's very vitality draining to think about everybody else on the team. Okay, so I'm going to do this and then what are you going to do and make sure you have this done correctly, right? It's very vitality draining to micromanage everybody else on the team. Meanwhile, here we have this woman going home to her husband and her husband's going, what do you care? What do you care if these stakeholders (laughs) like it or not? Why do you care so much? Let it go. It's just a job. I want to be like my husband. He doesn't leave sleep over anything. (laughs) Like ever. (laughs) But if we have this little button, right? So there's something, there's a little button that's getting pushed at work for this woman. Now we can see at a high level how it connects to her childhood, but the work is really what is the specific connection for that woman? So when she was in that chaotic environment, was it a way to avoid the shame of criticism if she did everything perfectly? Was it the only time that anybody paid attention to her? Right. We got to go deeper. I've noticed people who are prone to like the ones that we call control freaks are they tend to do it more to alleviate anxiety than to be the boss like it's not necessarily like I just have to have control because I'm the best it's more I need to control my environment because my anxiety is getting out of control if I don't so we have to go deep into the unconscious not to relive not to re-traumatize like I say I don't need to know the details of the home environment right but I have been really dedicating uh, the last you know 15 years to understanding how these buttons got laid down and how to guide people people have to do this work themselves I can't I I can't tell them but I can be a guide right into the unconscious so that that woman can discover for herself huh what is the specific specific button that got laid down in that environment that I have been trying to counter my whole life. And when we identify that, when when the woman is able to identify that, it very easily clears. The button kind of goes away. And so then when we don't have the button, we don't have to employ all of these coping mechanisms. This is where I have sort of a complaint about modern therapy, counseling, things like this. There is so much emphasis on coping. Well, I'd like you to do deep breathing. I'd like you to do, you know, affirmations. I want you to visualize. I want you to think of your anxiety and put it on a shelf, you know. Okay, how much energy are we putting into coping? I think it's appropriate to, I guess, learn coping skills to get you to a certain point. And then you have to work on the, I don't know, we could probably do a whole other podcast on that too. But like, Um, putting your anxiety on a shelf for a minute while you try and figure out how to function is one thing, but you can't just leave it on the shelf and never address it. Right, exactly. So, you know, I have worked with many clients, you know, they realize, you know, there's some, there's some 
things, some dynamics that have been a part of my life that I think are contributing to how I'm feeling. And they want to work that out and they go into therapy and all they're given is coping mechanisms. I see it all the time and it's a real problem. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of getting a little frustrated with it because people are spending so much time in therapy and they're not getting to the root of, okay, where, how, you know, what specifically is the button that got laid down and clearing the button. We're just coping and breathing through it and all this other kind of stuff. We want to be like the husband that's going, why does this bother you, right? <laughs> He's in it, right? So we have two different people in the same environment. One's up at three in the morning and the other is sleeping like a baby. The environment is the same. The difference is one person has a button that's getting pushed by the environment and one person doesn't have a button that's getting pushed by the environment. I'm going to have to go have a conversation with my husband. <laughs> like, what is your magic? <laughs> because seriously, the man, I love him dearly, but the second his head hits a pillow, he's out. And I'm like, how do you do that? It's am- It's amazing to me, but my brain doesn't work that way. I wish it did, you know? Well, and, you know, some people suppress emotions, you know, some people are very skilled at that. (laughs) And so that's not the answer either. You know, and I'm not saying your husband is doing this, right? But, you know, sometimes people can look, you know, unfazed and calm and cool, but they're actually suppressing everything. I think his will is just that he does, he is able to put things in a box and put it on the shelf and he'll just deal with it tomorrow. Like, he's not trying to sort through the box and (laughs) like reorganize it and put it in new boxes and decide if I need all the boxes. <laughs> right. Doing that at 10 o'clock the color of the boxes need to be exactly. right. They exactly. look good on the shelf. And is anyone going to see them? And like, right. right. What labels on. should I put on the boxes? What font should I use on the labels for the boxes? Exactly. Oh my gosh. The handwriting isn't good enough for the labels on the box. Like, right. <laughs> but literally like that is a skill to just be able to compartmentalize enough that you're not going to lose sleep. I mean, I honestly think that's not saying you shouldn't deal with the boxes eventually, but there's a skill in that, <laughs> you know, because eventually the lack of sleep catches up and adds more boxes, really. Anyway, we can go on and on about box theory. <laughs> right? <laughs> I think you should trademark this, Mary. Oh my gosh, I probably could. <laughs> So, you know, we have these, right? So when we are compensating for this button, right? It's very vitality draining. So we have holes in the bucket due to that on the mental and emotional side. And then we can have physical things that are kind of draining our vitality, putting holes in the bottom of that bucket too. So uh, let me give a common example. Hopefully this doesn't trigger people, but our sleep habits, right? So you mentioned sleep, right? We have to have adequate sleep to replenish our vitality as well. And so in this day and age, it's very easy to have our sleep habits messed up because we got our phones and we got all this nonsense, right? That keeps us up and, you know, like I, we talked about this on another podcast, I might be ready to go to sleep. Oh, let me just check my phone real quick. And then suddenly, how did this happen 45 minutes later? I swear I want to punch people in the nose when they're like, just get eight to 10 hours of sleep. And I'm like, where, how, what, like, <laughs> what is this magic you speak of? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> 
So, you know, when I'm working with my clients, I'm also looking at, is there anything on the physical side that's draining the vitality? This could be habits, things like this. Um, so we want to, right, we've got to address, again, physical, mental, emotional aspects within this third principle. And I love how you, like, I think the one thing that is clear to me in this podcast is that each of the principles can either be filled up or drained. And there's a flip side to each of those. And whether you're filling them or draining them is what is causing you to feel good or not good. And that's to the bottom line, right? And it, and that's how it applies to work as well. You're either filling or draining and whether your work fills or drains or um, home life or whatever, that's why we're getting migraines at work. Yep. I love how you put that spot on. I'm not sure it was eloquent, but you get it. (laughs) (laughs) We'll rewind the tape and write that down. (laughs) Shoot. I just, I just dated myself by referring this to a tape. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Rewind tape. What is she talking about? Uh, It's so funny when you hear your kids talking about things and they're like, what does rewind mean? And you're like, just, just go away. We're not going to talk about that. <laughs> Did we cover everything about the I think we got it. It was a good one, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So I hope this helps people kind of put into context or kind of evaluate what's going on at work, right? Again, it's not really the work environment. Right. I mean, there there are rare cases where people are in just such a toxic, toxic insanity of a work environment that, you know, they need to leave. Um, I, I actually can think of one work environment that I was in in my mid 20s <laughs> that was so toxic. You just had to get out of there. But that's not very common. Right. Um, and so the the real work for us is to, again, work within these three principles Um, And I hope this was helpful for people to kind of think about the work environment, physical, mental, emotional, as it relates to these three principles. Right. I think one skill, just to finish up, one skill that could kind of go along with the vitality part is being able to identify when a situation has gotten to that toxic level that it's not okay anymore. That's a skill as well. You know, and it's okay. It's okay to say, this isn't what I signed up for. I mean, if it's something we can work through and fix in order to build our vitality back up, that's fine. But there is a point where everyone needs to have a line and be okay with saying, I don't need to be putting myself in that situation anymore. Yeah. And then we can, it's it's much easier to to realize when our line has been crossed and it's much easier to to implement an exit strategy when we're feeling good. So if this is you, you are kind of, right, you're struggling in one of those types of work environments, but you're kind of trapped there because you're not feeling well and you don't want to bring that to the next place. Let's see if I can help. Yeah, fix, fix what you can. What, I mean, we all need to be able to identify what we have under control and, and work on those things, right? Well, very good. Thank you, Mary. I think we... I think we got another good one in the books. Thanks again. And thank you for listening. 
Before you go, be sure to like this episode and subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, and other popular podcast platforms. Do you have someone in your life who would benefit from what we talked about today? Please share it with them. Share on your social media. Share within other migraine Facebook groups that you are in. We really want to get the word out that you can recover your health and stop getting chronic migraines. And if you want to stay connected, join my free migraine Facebook group with over 11,000 women who are rediscovering a migraine-free life. Go to Healing Migraines Naturally with Leslie Caesar, ND, on Facebook or to HealingMigrainesNaturally.com and we'll redirect you to the Facebook group. 